In Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State Address, the Democratic leader outlined plans for new Office of Service and Civic Engagement, which will be overseen by Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado and administered by a new Chief Service Officer. The governor has high hopes for the new office, saying it will train and identify the next generation of local leaders and public servants. The initiative will kick off with the launch of the Empire State Service Corps program, which will provide paid opportunities for college students to serve their communities. For more on the new office and his state government portfolio, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. Welcome back to the show, Lieutenant Governor. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. So what was the impetus for this uh, statewide initiative, which seems to represent an elevation and expansion of an existing office of service? Yes, uh, the, the, the impetus, I think, generally speaking, is the climate. Uh, understanding that there's a level of detachment uh, that people are feeling from themselves, from uh, the community, from the state, and from government. Um, and some of this can be born of the COVID-19 and the loneliness uh, epidemic. Some of this can also be attributed to uh, the way uh, individuals receive uh, information now in echo chambers on social media, uh, TikTok and the like. Um, and some of this can be attributed to just uh, a lack of leadership, you know, at the national level um, that can speak to people in ways that connect them and unify them as opposed to being divisive. And so we thought it was very, very important, particularly for our young people, to elevate the work of service, to elevate the work of civic engagement, uh, to connect people to their power, to their communities, uh, and to make sure that people understand that there is a uh, a state here in New York that is dedicated to doing this work at the highest level. And then beyond that, with the rise of hate and intolerance, we thought it was very important uh, to meet that rise uh, by grounding the work of service in our shared capacity to love each other uh, and to support each other and to have compassion for one another. So growing up, I had Jed Bartlett in the West Wing to get me pumped about politics and civic life. But with the expanded influence of money in politics, the stranglehold of the two major parties, and probably a million other things, it must be harder for people not to become disillusioned about government. So how do you overcome that with a new office? I think first and foremost, you, we have to elevate the language, you know, atmosphere, right? So if we have people out there who are only talking in terms of individualism, materialism, consumerism, um, in, a, in, a, in a fashion that isolates folks and makes folks turn inward at the expense of others. That's what ultimately the culture will reflect over time. It's important that leaders step up to try to figure out ways to tap into our innate ability to love each other and care for each other. And that means having a commitment to prioritize this issue and to create clear, direct pathways to service. Uh, that allow folks to tap into that power, whether it's in uh, the food and security space, whether that's in the educational space, the housing space, the homelessness space. There are so many opportunities to engage and to empower ourselves through service that oftentimes people want to do, but don't understand how to do without direction. A lot of our young people today, uh, unlike uh, myself when I was growing up, my generation, they're very aware of their own power. It's very hard to shelter our young people in ways that maybe back 30, 40, 50 years ago, parents could shelter. So our young people are very aware of their power. The challenge now is they don't quite know what to do with it and what the direction is. And they're not sure if their leaders are really committed to empowering them in constructive and helpful ways. So meeting people where they are with real opportunities. And this Office of Service and Civic Engagement is gonna do just that. It's gonna partner with SUNY. It's gonna make sure there are volunteer and paid positions that our young people can pursue. And then we're going to bring in a chief service officer that will 
work with my office to develop a holistic plan to take all across the state to make sure that we're engaging not just young people, but our seniors, our young adults, you name it. Anybody who wants to be invested in their communities and tap into this power of service. Well, as those long-term plans are formulated for the new state office, there's that plan to launch the Empire State Service Corps program, which is modeled after an initiative in California, which uh, targets low-income first-generation college students. So what sort of eligibility criteria will there be for the uh, Empire State version? Well, you want to make sure that you have a certain number of hours, I think about 300 hours of committed service um, you know, to, for students who are in college, uh, that And that could be, again, whether that's in the tutoring space, whether that's distributing meals, uh, whether that's protecting the environment. Um, I believe that you know this program is still very much in developmental stage. Uh, and so as the program comes together at SUNY, we'll certainly be uh, doing what we can to provide opportunities and to elevate it and engage it. But certainly the, the focus here in the first instance is to uh, uh, be where our young people are, and in particular our college uh, students. Uh, it is a natural space. Uh, to make sure that as they're coming into their own and developing their, their sense of self, they are supported in that endeavor and in a way that helps them learn where their power lies and the best ways to effectuate their power. So in the first instance, it is going to be a partnership uh, with SUNY and CUNY. Uh, CUNY has its own uh, service program as well that uh, we're going to work to try to amplify and scale up to. The California program, unlike the federal program, is open to un undocumented students. Is that an important component of any New York program moving forward? Should this be open to all New York college students, regardless of their immigration status? I definitely want to make sure that we are focusing on all of our young people. You know, I think it's important that anybody who's enrolled uh, in, in college and seeking an education uh, has the opportunity to empower themselves, uh, to uplift themselves, and to ensure that they're able to tap into their power and serve. So certainly want to make sure that anybody who is on a college campus that is trying to better themselves and learn uh, for the foreseeable future has an opportunity uh, to do this work. And is this going to be in lieu of existing work-study programs that some colleges and universities might offer? Or do you envision this being in addition to the existing opportunities and therefore will require some sort of state investment? It certainly will be in addition to. Uh, I think the governor is still working on the, the sort of budget, the budget around the SUNY program. So that's not been finalized just yet, but there will be um, uh, funding that will be utilized for this purpose, just like there will be some amount of funding for the Office of Service and Civic Engagement in terms of staffing and how we ultimately grow and scale up the mission and the vision. So uh, this would be on top of, um, except in the case of CUNY, I think in the case of CUNY, at least in the first instance, um, this will just be a matter of trying to amplify what they're already doing uh, and make sure that there's uh, more communication about the different ways young people can engage on that campus. Well, in the California program, the state there is spending tens of millions of dollars. So are you anticipating a similar type of investment in terms of scope and reach in New York? I think it's important to, you know, first step back and understand what the state has been doing up to this point relative to California. Um, California has its own agency and has had so for a number of years. It's brought in a chief service officer that has been utilizing for a number of years. 
in our case, New York, uh, we have a service commission, which is housed under the Office of Children and Family Services. And that has been more or less um, the mechanism through which we've been able to utilize AmeriCorps funding. In other words, it has not uh, been stood up on its own. It has not been put uh, in a separate uh, space for the public to engage with in a meaningful way. And so this is a very um, critical step in the direction of just making sure that we elevate this work uh, and pair it to an office, in this case, my office, that can focus on it chiefly and make sure that we have individuals who are staffed to make sure that we have a mission moving forward that can connect our young people to opportunities. And over time, the hope is to have this continue to grow um, and make sure that as the needs uh, continue to be identified, we are best positioned to be able to meet them. We've been talking about this office and its focus through the lens of uplifting young people. Is there a role for this office to address older New Yorkers, whether it's uh, boomers on down to my generation, the, the, the millennials? I think there's certainly room. The question is going to be, as we roll this out and, and make sure that we have a proper uh, information gathering um, a period of time here, you know, while we identify a chief service officer and while we work with SUNY uh, and engaging with the young people, as I said, we're going to be bringing in a chief service officer and I will be traveling across the state, uh, you know, all throughout the state, um, engaging with not just our young people, but with all folks from all different walks of life of all different ages. Uh, and trying to get a sense of where those opportunities are. Also meeting with nonprofits who are uh, doing critical work in this space and have been doing so for any number of years. Uh, again, whether that's making sure that our elderly um, are looked after and supported, or whether that means you know we're doing something to combat climate change, or whether that means making sure you know we're dealing with housing issues. Whatever the area of inquiry is, the hope is by the end of this year, we will have an action plan that allows us to uh, move forward in years to come and a far more robust fashion. Uh, again, the key here was to just stand up this office in the first instance and do something that had not yet been done uh, in New York. And then from there, identify where we can build pre-existing partnerships, in this case, SUNY and CUNY, to leverage the opportunity in the short term. And while that is ongoing, do the heavy lifting of getting around the state, letting folks know about this office, letting the actors on the ground who've been doing this work know about this office with an eye towards having grant making capacity down the road that puts us in a position to really tap into people's commitment to this work. In your own home, how do you hope to instill some sort of idea about the merits of service and civic engagement to your young kids? Oh, I mean, I really appreciate that question. You know, um, it's something that I talk to my wife a lot about. I feel very blessed, first and foremost, you know, to be in public service while my children are, are coming of age. And they naturally, at 10 years old now, you know, they ask more questions, they're more curious, uh, they see the sacrifices. And I make a habit to try to explain what we are committed to as a family, not just me, but uh, Lacey and, and, and them too, and the sacrifices that accompany it. Um, and I always seek out opportunities for us to do things uh, uh, together. You know, just recently during the holidays, we were able to, uh, you know, all you know, give out uh, toys and, and coats uh, at a drive down in the city. Right, seeing them live that experience and and also attach that experience to daddy's work, right, to the work that I do every single day. Uh, the hope is that as they come of age, they see real value in this work, and that ultimately it's not about how much money you're able to make. Uh, but ultimately how much value you can put into the world by virtue of your own commitment to service 
uh, and your own desire to want to help people. And after a quick break, we'll continue our discussion with Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado about instilling a spirit of service and civic engagement in New Yorkers. When we get back, we'll also talk about his efforts to work with his former colleagues in Washington, D.C., and his role leading the state's hate and bias prevention unit. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation about a newly proposed state office of service and civic engagement, which would be overseen by our guest, Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. Before the break, we were discussing how he and his wife try to promote civic pride and engagement at home with their two young children. Do you ever worry, though, that they'll almost resent politics because that's the the job that takes dad away, as you say, on the road all the time? Or uh, is that... the price that you might have to pay or you think they are old enough to, to get what you're doing? I mean, how do you think about that? I think about that a lot. Um, you know, when I was in Congress, the challenges were a lot more difficult, to be honest. Uh, I was away a lot more um, because, you know, I'd be in D.C. for two or three weeks at a time. Even when I got back home, um, I was on the road traveling across a very, very big district stretching 11 counties, right? And so, uh, you know, when they were three, four, five, six years old, um, daddy wasn't wasn't always wasn't always home. And listen, there's no question that we were seeing some of the effects of that. And it felt like a real blessing uh, to be able to continue in public service um, at a point in time where my kids, I could tell really needed me home. And I think from their vantage point, you know, they see daddy a lot more. They understand that I'm uh, more present and more engaging with them than I have been because of the work that I do now. And they also, I think, you know, listen, they're, <laughs> they think it's pretty cool too. They think it's pretty cool that, you know, daddy's lieutenant governor, right? And they see, you know, the little things. They see, you know, how I travel. They see, you know, people recognize me uh, and they like that. And I always, you know, have to help them understand um, what that actually means and and why, uh, you know, we um, might be getting recognized. And ultimately, it's not about being recognized. It's about doing the work, right? It's about making sure that people understand you care about them. So my hope is that they come of age, they understand all these different aspects. And uh, as long as I am very present uh, when I'm home and do my best to, to love them, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll be all right. Well, you mentioned D.C. And on that note, I want to pivot to this idea that when you originally tapped to be LG nearly two years ago, you and the governor emphasized this idea that you could be the administration's emissary, so to speak, to Washington, D.C., given your time as a congressman. Do you feel like that has paid uh, any dividends, especially now as we have uh, Republican control of the House for more than a year? I think it has. You know, I think it's um, listen, the governor's done a great job herself uh, on making sure that we're cultivating uh, our relationships, you know, whether it's with um, minority leader you know, Jeffries or majority uh, leader Schumer. I mean, we are in a very strong position uh, in terms of our relationships um, and in terms of leadership uh, as a state vis-a-vis the federal government and Congress. And so, you know, I do think that I certainly have my relationships that um, can be helpful, um, but the governor, you know, has, you know, developed her own relationships as well. And I think our, our dynamics complement each other uh, in terms of our ability to, you know, uh, fill in gaps where needed. But 
on the whole, you know, listen, the 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 current Congress in the House, um, there's nothing they can point to um, in terms of creating any type of legislative effort that would produce any type of uh, benefit for the public whatsoever. And so, you know, when you have a dynamic where there's complete dysfunction and there's absolutely nothing that can get done by way of legislation, you know, it's kind of hard uh, at that point, you know, to see, um, given the current power dynamics at the, in the House, uh, what what could, if anything, be pulled out of that? Because at the end of the day, even folks uh, in the majority uh, can't go home to their to their um, supporters and say, we've done X, Y, and Z. They, they can't say anything other than they're in power. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. There are Republicans who represent parts of the Hudson Valley, whether it's uh, Mike Lawler or uh, Mark Molinaro, who sort of frame themselves as the Republican counterpart to the way you sort of set yourself up when you represent the Hudson Valley as a Democrat in a purple district. Do you feel like they're accurately portraying themselves as trying to, I guess, rise above the far right elements of their party that seem to be really uh, holding sway in the Republican majority in the House? Or, or do you feel like they've been swallowed up or, or just, I guess, along for the ride, so to speak? When I was in Congress, 18 of my bills uh, were signed into law. Into law. They weren't just introduced. Uh, they weren't co-sponsored. Um, and that's because uh, we have leadership that made a point uh, to usher in legislation that would ultimately have a real effect and impact on folks back home, whether that was in the small business space, whether it was supporting our veterans, whether it was supporting our, our farmers in the Hudson Valley, in the Southern Tier. Uh, I can list any number of bills that I got signed into law. Um, and that's because we had a majority um, that was dedicated uh, to doing this work, uh, that was determined uh, to make sure that people back home would have results. Right now, absent that type of leadership, you cannot describe any member of the majority right now as somehow distinct or unique. They are simply the extension of the problem. And whatever whatever the motivation is, whatever the intention is, ultimately doesn't really matter because the question to pose is, what have you produced? What have you brought home to your district? Not what messaging bill that you lend your name to, not what bill that you introduced that you knew was dead on arrival, so you can go back home and just say you did it. What have you actually introduced that passed both chambers and was signed? You would think, especially if you're in a competitive district, that this would be the priority for those who want to maintain the majority at the very least, even from a more political standpoint or more cynical point of view, you say to yourself, okay, let's make sure these individuals in these tough districts get what they need back home to be able to say, here's what I've got done. And the truth of the matter is, there's nothing they can point to that demonstrates that. Well, finally, for about a year, uh, you served as the chair of the state's hate and bias prevention unit, which has conducted the bulk of its work behind closed doors. So what would you say this effort has accomplished to date? Quite a bit. Very proud of it. Um, you know, we see the rise of, of hate in all its forms, and it's very terrifying. And it's all the more incumbent uh, to not just be reactive, but to be proactive. The objective in the first year was to uh, create uh, 10 councils, uh, regionally based councils all across the state uh, and have them made up of volunteers who were committed to this work uh, in their own rights. Um, 
based on their own affinity groups. And we were able to do that. And then they started doing programmatic work uh, on the ground uh, last year and into this year, uh, whether it's community forums, whether it's educational uh, outreach efforts, um, but that's been ongoing and will continue to be ongoing. We also introduced a hotline, 844-NO-TO-HATE, um, which is something that we feel very good about. It allows folks who have experienced incidents of hate and bias uh, to be able to call and report these incidents to the Division of Human Rights and have real direct uh, follow-up and follow-through. Uh, and then more recently now, in the coming year, what we're going to do is uh, launch a youth initiative, which, as you might imagine, will complement a lot of the work that we're doing in the Office of Service and Civic Engagement. This initiative will create opportunities in the arts and film um, in any number of different areas for our young people to learn about conflict resolution uh, and mediation and how to actually deal with uh, divisiveness in a constructive fashion and deal with hate in a constructive fashion, giving them the skill set and the tools and the language uh, and the capacity ultimately uh, to be able to find their truth uh, when confronted with some very challenging times. So very, very excited about the work of the Hate and Bias Prevention Unit and believe that when you pair that with the Office of Service and Civic Engagement, uh, we have a pretty good thing going here. Well, we've been speaking with Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, sir. And if listeners want to hear some of our previous conversations with the Lieutenant Governor, check out our archives at capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.